Hello and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Tony Tresoni at Westminster Baptist Church. I'm the family pastor there, and I'm joined as always by... Ben Palaz. I'm the family and children's discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. Well, thank you for joining us, whether it be for your 17th time or for your first time. We are a podcast that's dedicated to helping and equipping parents as well as children's ministry workers to disciple the kids within their care. We always have a lively and fun discussion, and we look forward to having a really interesting discussion on kind of a hot-button issue today. Uh, we're going to be talking about divine design, and as a, as a good Baptist, I kind of titled this podcast Delighting in Divine Design, Triple D, I guess. Hey, yeah, you recently did that with your, your alliteration skills. I found that actually just I'm able to alliterate more easily as time goes by. So in the baptism waters, I don't know. Yeah, I think as Baptist pastors, we're just getting fatter and better at alliterating. <laughs> That's right. We buffet our bodies. Exactly. Yes. So th- I think there's something about that fried chicken that better improves our ability to alliterate. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Well, hopefully this podcast will also be more enjoyable to you than watching the Baltimore Orioles in June, as they were pretty terrible this month, weren't they, Ben? You know, I have not kept up with the Orioles as much. I, I've peeked in at the Braves periodically. They've actually done okay. They're they're creeping up towards 500, so they're in second place. At least last the other day when I checked, they were, so... Yeah, a few weeks ago, I think they were outscored by the Yankees over a weekend, uh, something like 35-5. to <laughs> Sounds like home run derby. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, anyway, uh, again, thank you all for joining us today. I read recently, I read some interesting reports. Uh, First, one I read from USA Today demonstrated and wrote that the United States in the past year, in in, in 2016, spent nearly $16 billion on cosmetic plastic surgery. Did, Did you spend any of that money, Ben? Yeah, I got some some Botox injections in my lips. Okay. Pretty high number. I actually couldn't believe it when I saw it. And I read a uh, another story that I actually think is as it connects to a similar issue that and the New York Times said over the past 5 years the number of Americans who recognize themselves as transgendered and may have even doubled in the past 5 years. Whew. And what do you think that these reveal about people's theology, Ben? Uh, I think some troubling things. Um, I think in one way it's trying to reverse the curse when it comes to the plastic surgery. And, you know, I don't know all of, of what that statistic includes. I'm not ready to say that anytime someone has a, a cos- what's labeled as a cosmetic plastic yes. surgery, someone's been, you know, in some sort of accident or whatever, I, you know, there are very... There's a lot of detail that goes into that, Absolutely. but uh, you know, some Botox injections and things like that. Um, there are some things that are clearly, I think, it's trying to put too much stock in in physical appearance. Um, the creation is good. I mean, God entered into it. He He's going to redeem it, but um, it, it can be pursuing idols and you know, all of us want to be in the place of God naturally. Uh, and some, this is the way they've acted on it. Um, and we, you know, wake up in the morning and make a to-do list and say, you know, I want to be God. But you know, we think and act and talk like it, and we, we view the world um, like we're at the center 
And so I think, you know, the transgender issues are a little different than the cosmetic things, but I think it is trying to be in the place of God, to, to create reality. And uh, I mean, I saw a lady, not transgender, but several years back, I saw a woman who was in her 70s, and I thought she had an accident or something, and I asked someone who knew her about it, and they said, oh no, she must have just had a facelift. And I mean, it was shocking to me. I thought, oh my goodness, what is wrong with that person? And you know, she was way too old to have that kind of a, uh, her, her skin just was not naturally that tight. And she just looked ridiculous trying to get it back to that, you know, when she was 22 or something. But it, it just, you know, it was kind of laughable. I knew of a guy in uh, Northern Illinois who had cosmetic surgery to to have horns put into his head uh, permanently, and I'm sure his in- job interviews from that point forward just went spend- splendidly. I'm sure. I'm sure that um, that would be a nice add-on. <laughs> that would be. So. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I think these reveal a lot in very similar ways, actually. I think these show a theology of understanding human beings is basically accidents and show a lack of understanding of God's creation. Again, in that $16 billion, undoubtedly much of that is needed cosmetic surgery, whether it be from an accident, uh, whether it be from something else related to that, even from a birth defect. But, uh, you know, the numbers of, of what we spend in cosmetic surgery has been skyrocketing dramatically and more than the number of accidents that would cause these kind of surgeries has been skyrocketing. Mm. So I think it, it just shows, I think, a mentality that we're, that we're in charge of our own bodies in that kind of way. We don't understand God's creation. So with that, Ben, did God make us just as a cup of Play-Doh to shape however we want? Or to put it another way, is our genetic makeup just kind of random? Uh, no, despite what many people would say, you know, God formed us in his image. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, you know, in eternity God had DNA, but we're not to mold ourselves however we see fit. We have the genes and the, all the makeup uh, that give us different color hair and eye and skin and, and all of that, um, and the chromosomes that determine our gender and, and those kinds of things. But it's based on God's design, and so I think that that's something that's inherent to our identity and God's purposes for us with this genetic makeup as opposed to a different genetic makeup. So we're not in the place to um, create that for ourselves or or create our own version of it. That that is right. So no matter how much Play-Doh that you think that you have in and your genetic makeup. Uh, yeah, God truly does, as Scripture says. He not only knows every hair on our head, but he indeed wove us in our mother's womb. We are intentionally designed by God. We are not accidents. We are not, not freaks. We are not genetic abnormalities in that way. But we are intentionally created by a loving and intelligent, creative God. With that, Ben, I need to ask, are some people genetically superior to other people? Uh, yes, LeBron James, I think he's in a category all his own. You don't find too many people that are 6'9", that are as big and fast and strong as him. But, you know, I would say in the sense that some people may be more intelligent or attractive or uh, whatever, that 
that doesn't make them more superior in the sense they have more value. Um, they may just have genes that make their face more symmetrical or uh, whatever it is, or they're stronger, or they're more likely to be able to play athletics well. But that doesn't give them more inherent value. And so doesn't make them more worthy of respect. I mean, a person with Down syndrome has genetic abnormalities, but they're still made in God's image, and they still, um, because of that, carry immense value. Yes, absolutely. Yes, certainly God did design LeBron James to be a better basketball player than you or I, probably combined, easily. But I am not 100% sure lately following my Orioles that God designed us to be worse pitchers than their starting pitchers. (laughs) I wish he had, but (laughs) unfortunately it doesn't seem to be the case in a lot of ways. You know, this is certainly this mentality of genetic superiority is is really the base teaching of naturalism. The worldview that that uh, the natural world is kind of the highest thing that there is. And really it's the teaching the culture, our culture at large, I think in a lot of ways. I think in a lot of ways we assume as a culture naturalism. I think many cultures, even many cultures that claim to have a religion, will assume naturalism with how their ethics and how they, how they live and practice in that kind of way. You know, I think it's a very extreme example. I think this was shown in Nazi Germany, you know, and Nazi Germany, so much of the worldview of who was chosen as these important Aryan, as Aryan nation, who was rejected and deserving of the torture chambers was based upon a perception of genetic inferiority, regardless of whether it was true or not. The, but instead, I think scripture contrasts this so sharply. God created everyone uniquely in his image. No man or woman is less created in the image of God than one another as the that ultimately in their greatest attribute we are all on level footing we're all on level ground and our differences are many certainly lebron james would destroy me in basketball certainly uh stephen hawkins would destroy somebody like me in a debate but a variety of differences are certainly part of god's wonderful grand mosaic of of his beautiful creation god intentionally created us different but doesn't mean one superior to the other even though again we would get absolutely destroyed by LeBron James. Exactly. How does our culture's understanding of beauty, though, differ from God's? You know, it's, it's like in Samuel's day. He's told, you know, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. We, in our culture in particular, we, with strength and tan or physical fitness or curviness or, or whatever, um, th- that is what we see as beautiful, but it's very shallow. And you know, gravity gets the best of all of us, um, yes. and so those things fade. And so, uh, I mean, I think beauty corresponds to what it was made for, and that it comes from God. And God is beautiful and pure and good. God didn't always have a body. Now we know God became a man. He entered into our physical existence and submitted to the curse. But so beauty is not simply. Um, something that you look at and you know admire uh, my friend Sean Eden he's uh, got a website called godcenteredworship.com and he's thought a lot about aesthetics and beauty and worshiping god and he's, he's smart and he loves the lord so if you're interested you could check that out more he he um, has written a lot about that and and thought carefully but beauty is also a moral category so yes 
That's good. Yeah, I think that is an important distinction. Yeah, we're, yeah, and our culture, again, to echo that, our culture sees symmetry and opulence as beautiful. I think God's understanding of beauty is so different, especially when we see, uh, for example, what an adorn, our adornment should be in Scripture. God finds a good and beautiful creation in fulfilling its divine purpose. He finds it beautiful when we do what we are created to do, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm-hmm. So why then did God design us all so uniquely? To show his power and creativity to show his glory I and mean, just as you consider the vastness of creation and all the different kinds of things God made and the variety and the color and the it's just it makes you in awe you go, I mean how did he think of this and uh, I mean I've heard someone talking about this uh, these I forgot there's some kind of slugs or something and they go out on a branch and then they descend from the branch and intertwine their bodies to mate. I mean, it's very, um, I guess, counterproductive, you know, anti-evolutionary kind of thing. Um, I mean, why did God think to make them do that? But just, you know, you see this and go, wow, God made all this. And, and, um, And I think, you know, in some ways it's a reflection, a little reflection of the Trinity, of having unity in diversity, um, but they're, you know, they are together even though they're distinct and so just as a, a testimony to him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think to add it to that, God uses our unique gifts, our unique design that he's created us, and even our unique weaknesses to draw us together. I think God created all these diversity uh, in his creation so that his creation might be brought together and become one, especially in Christ, mm-hmm. as, as we might serve one another. We might better serve him together. Mm-hmm. How do we then teach children to rightly understand their unique design, divine design? I think you keep pointing them back to him, um, that he is awesome, he's good, he doesn't make mistakes, he only does what's right. Tell them, you know, God made you and everyone else in his image, and so that's why we're important. Um, that, that's why we, we must treat all people with love, with respect, uh, because they're little pictures of God. I mean, I think of just explaining it to a very small child, but that's a sort of like a picture of God walking around there. And so I, I think we need to get away from just, you know, you're, you're awesome, be amazed at yourself, think about yourself more. <laughs> you know, instead, like, they need to be in awe of Him because He is far more awesome than, than we are. And so um, not, and that's not at all teaching children to, to loathe themselves and, you know, go around and... Uh, think how bad, uh, how awful they are, but just stop thinking about yourself so much. So It's so pivotal in us, and as well, it's important that parents need to know that they have such a central role in helping children know who they are, know what their identity is, know who a little Johnny is, what makes little Susie little Susie, and, the, and in this we need to point out our child's unique personality and unique attributes that God has created in them as something that they should thank God for. I know a parent interacting with a child where the child will point out often how they're smarter than other ki- other children their age. And maybe that's true, maybe that's not. But uh, I think the, it's right for parents in those situations not to say, oh yes, you're so awesome and so much better than other people, but instead to help turn the child's attitude to thanking God for how he uniquely created that child and thanking God for how he uniquely created others with other gifts that are different from that, uh, that child's gifts.
That's mm, good. Is it enough then, Ben, to teach children that God make, made you special and he loves you very much? Um, I think it is. That's good, but I think you can go further than that. I think you need to connect it, not just that he made you, uh, but connect it back to God's image. I mean, Scripture makes a big deal of that, both in Genesis and then as you play that out. Then I mean, talk about becoming a believer. Ephesians talks about how we're being created in God's image and true righteousness and holiness. And so we're being conformed back to that image that we was so marred at the fall. You know, God also made rats and he made mushrooms and, and they served uh-huh. their purposes. But I think when we connect, not just that he made you, he made you special, but he made you in his image to show what he's like. Amen. It lifts up humanity and it brings attention back to God too, instead of down to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Just saying God made you special and he loves you very much, I think does become so self-focused like you describe it as, you know, instead of bringing glory to God, uh, this good thing that is becomes insufficient because it's not also importantly incorporating the necessity of seeing a child as being created in God's image for God's own glory, that God created us to be worshipers of him. So I, I certainly don't think it's bad, but I think it, it's not just simple not enough and a litter picking on veggie tails to end right there uh, for this podcast <laughs> now how can the way we talk around and to our children create a deficient theology of creation I think we can give the impression that a certain race or feature you know skinny people or people that look like this or that are superior when we don't really have evidence of that in God's word Um, and just if we have not seen that creation exists for God's glory instead of just well it's cool and wow but you know that this was here for his glory then we can get them off on even further on a wrong trajectory I think it's important how we do talk again about even our own body around our children when we talk negatively about our body or even others' bodies that God created, others' the attributes that God created even, around our children, we end up teaching them, our children, that God's creation is flawed or that God's creation needs correcting. You know, I think it was when we point out, I hate my ears. Mm-hmm. I, hate, I hate how my belly looks. I hate how my foot is uniquely designed. I think it ultimately teaches our children something, and it teaches them something flawed in God's creation instead of rightly understanding that even those unique and different designs that might not fit our culture's understanding of beauty are beautiful to God because he created it that way. You know, and I think in the same way, there's another extreme. You know, I think that we can do a lot of damage to our kids and create a deficient theology of creation if we simply become the parents who are always telling that uh, their their girls that they're pretty, that just telling you you're just so beautiful and, and. and only emphasizing something like that, it they idolize that specific attribute, and mm-hmm. they and they understand it in a very culturally driven sense. And then for the for boys, you know, highlight just simply highlighting, oh, that you're such a tough guy, that you're you're so strong, and not pointing out different attributes that God has perhaps created in them, but also the ways in which they're to use those attributes to serve God. Yeah, it's, I mean, in the Christian world, you've got um, some people that make 
uh, too little of the physical creation, and it's just about, you know, it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. And then other people, you know, make too much of it and just emphasize, you know, the, the physical strength or physical attractiveness or something like that. And so, you know, the creation is good, and we're going to have bodies in the new heavens and new earth, but they're not ultimate. Now, what does someone's uh, clothing choices reveal about the theology to get very intensely practical with this? Well, you know, this just shows we talk about how everything is uh, theological. I mean, it, it can deal with issues of um, modesty. Um, it can be a self-focused thing, calling attention to oneself, again, just revealing kind of self-idolatry. And also, you know, dressing in certain ways that are ostentatious or you know, showy, or is it more functional? Again, that gets to the issue of modesty, or it, it, it touches on a similar vein as far as tr- calling attention to yourself. I think, you know, issues with dressing in a masculine way or a feminine way. Now, some people think, you know, that women shouldn't wear pants uh, or something like that, but now, you know, in Deuteronomy, and that's written, neither one wore pants and they didn't wear skirts, they just had a whole different kind of wardrobe, and, and you know, from what I've read, it was the don't wear what pertains to a, uh, the other gender, could have referred to uh, like some cultic prostitution stuff that went on, but those kind of things, can they can expose um, errors in what we believe about God, what we believe about humanity, or what our purpose is for, um, that our bodies are, you know, just there to get the attraction, you know, the attention of a man or that we should uh, call attention to ourselves by exposing things or uh, drawing attention to them. I think with this issue, as with many other issues, this is one of those things that we tend to deal with in a very legalistic way and don't understand the theological implications of things. We don't focus on the hard issues behind the choices. And, you know, I think that a person's choice about the clothing reveals their heart and reveals their theology. And I think it's far more important to deal with that than it is to deal with the specific clothing that they choose. And I think this is really connected to understanding the Imago Dei, understanding their unique divine design. So first, I think scripture is very clear that a person's choice of clothing reveals their adornment, whether their focus is on bringing attention to myself or whether their focus is on bringing attention to God. And, you know, in that, I think that modesty and things like those kind of issues tend to be hard issues revealing where you want people to focus on. Mm-hmm. They, and I think those who oftentimes immodesty comes from a under, uh, faulty understanding of seeking to find identity and seeking to find fulfillment in others, finding them attractive. Mm-hmm. You know, in similar kind of ways, you know. A one could a one a man could wear an expensive three-piece suit to show himself off, and he might not uh, show off his body in those kind of ways, but he does in a similar kind of way. He sh- he tries to show off how important he is, and a misunderstanding of how really God's creation that he exists to glorify God. Uh, so the in that it just really does turn around their purpose, and it finds their identity in things that we're not called to find our identity in. It finds its fulfillment in something other than Christ and how people see ourselves. And I think it also shows that somebody's bought into a culture's understanding of beauty. 
mm-hmm. which again we've shown I think and this is a lie and it's faulty you know the reality is that immodest clothing that there's seldom you, you're not going to find issues with modesty in clothing that reveals a little bit too much of a knuckle because their culture doesn't see a knuckle as that kind of visual <laughs> stimulant but so it's, it's inherently tied to our culture's understanding of beauty mm-hmm. I think in that it sees our bodies as our own our bodies as our own to show off, not our bodies as something you to be utilized to glorify our good God and Creator. Yeah. I, I, now, you know, Britney Spears and your mom. Please forgive me if this is inaccurate. I, my wife has told me about. She years ago heard some interview with uh, Britney Spears, where she was saying that well, my mom always told me, you know, to use the body that God gave me. And, you know, she wore some pretty provocative things, and, and she did, but not in a way that I think would glorify God always, um, you know, just calling yes. attention to herself, selling records and things like that. Uh, we'll just make sure that no Britney Spears listeners will hit us Yeah, I mean, Britney, time. if you're listening, if that's inaccurate, please forgive me. Yeah, I think we have a lot of pop singers that listen to us on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Justin Timberlake, too. I don't know. How can we uh, teach children to use their unique design to serve God? You know, maybe a little different than uh, Mrs. Spears advised. You know, in in John chapter 9, the disciples see this guy who's uh, born blind, and they ask Jesus, well, who sinned, was it him or his parents? And Jesus said, you know, it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You know, God is in charge. He's good. And you tell you know he made you this way, Johnny, Susie. You know I think we want to help them see their uniqueness and the ways that they can contribute to the good of others because of how God's made them uniquely. There's an author that I think you like him as well, Paul Tripp. He warns against trying to mold our kids into the vision that we have for them and what we think that they should be, but instead realizing we don't own them and and we should help them to become what God wants them to be, what he has made them to be. And so, you know, maybe you hope for a leader, but your kid's just really not a leader. And so, I mean, you can teach them things that might be helpful, but in that you can foster the personality and that kind of thing in their design, foster being a good follower and an encourager, a supporter, a listener. And so, I mean, that's not as much on the physical thing, but that is part of design. Some, you know, some parents, Absolutely. they want their kid, okay, dad is very successful in his career and he is going to make his kid be like him. And, you know, his kid just is not like him. And I think it's just setting a child up for frustration and, and you know, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, I think that is so important when we have children that do have different attributes that God gave them than ourselves. And regardless of if uh, little Johnny is just like daddy or little Johnny is fundamentally the opposite in a way that can glorify God, I think we're called to show our kids how uh, God's church needs them. God's church needs them to use those unique abilities, unique personality, and all types of people with unique personalities and unique attributes to serve him together. God, you needs th- uh, that uh, if little Johnny is born uh, with, uh, with a great intelligence, 
uh, that's very clear at a young age, not show that little Johnny, you can be a billionaire with this, but instead that you can help others, you can that you can learn God's word and help others better understand God's word. If little Johnny is as born as a person that's uniquely attentive to other people's needs, that uh, that you train up little Johnny and point how he can uniquely use that characteristic, that attribute that God's given him to serve others, to help others, to that uh, to perhaps one day serve as a deacon, mow an elderly woman's lawn when it's needed. In different ways as God's created them, we need to utilize those gifts to serve the Lord. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you, you talked about the billionaire thing. I think even if you see a child has got um, the ability to solve problems or fix things or they're inventive or something, that they can channel that even into the marketplace for not just making lots and lots of money so that they can have a vacation home in you know, the mountains and at the beach and all this. But, you know, you could use this and look, you could solve problems for people that, that would genuinely help other people flourish. And so, you know, channeling the, those energies towards blessing others, even if it leads to profit for them. And so, Absolutely. You know, and, and, but I totally agree, you know, encouraging them to use those gifts to serve them the church and just thinking on that plane. Yeah. And if they do get that beach home, make sure that they utilize it to serve Pastor Tony and Pastor Ben. <laughs> That's um, right. We can go record a podcast there. Exactly. Yeah. So how can we teach children to see the beauty and the diversity of God's creation? Again, you know, which as you see God's just his immense imagination, his power. I think it just adds enjoyment to life, seeing all the things that are different. And, um, you know, I like burritos, but I don't want to only eat burritos every meal every day. You know, and I like blue, but I don't only want to wear blue. You know, so too much sameness is not necessarily a good thing. And I mean, even in eternity, when it was just God, it was God, there was unity and there was diversity. There was Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so, it, I mean, it runs eternally that God doesn't want just everything the same. The I think we do need to, in that way, expose our kids. Just like exposing them to other colors than blue in shirts. Expose kids to people and things that are are so very different from us. I, I think it's easy for Christians to surround themselves with those who have the same personality as themselves. Mm-hmm. For those who have the same other attributes as themselves, unfortunately. But instead, we need to uh, so, show our children the beauty of God's diverse creation by surrounding them uh, with those that are different. If I positive examples from those who are different. Provide positive examples of Christians, brothers and sisters that are one with us in Christ, that are different races, that have different attributes, that have different strengths, different weaknesses, that maybe even speak different languages. Uh, I think it just show it points to the beauty and diversity instead of something that is lesser or greater than, but instead is something that points the glory to our wonderful and amazing God. I think that's key is you, you point out the differences and, and not just the bad differences like, oh, look at that group. That's what that group does. But instead, point out the positive examples from them. I mean, you can, you, sometimes you could just have to acknowledge the negative examples, but you can see negative examples within people that are like you too. So... Now, I do want to burst the bubble a little bit of your analogy earlier. You know, I don't think I would ever get sick of eating bacon. <laughs> I guess there are limits to it, so. <laughs> what does the uh, transgender movement now and not understand about God's beautiful creation? 
you know, I, I want to tread carefully here. I, I don't experience that, um, but I, I think that it puts us in the seat or someone who, who wants to affirm that that's a good thing or someone who says, yes, I will do this or I've done this. I think it puts humans in the seat of creator and Lord. I mean, it sounds freeing um, that we can just determine something like that, but I think it brings really heavy shackles with it because then we we have to create an identity for ourselves, and we can't rest in one that's given to us from another. I think it misses the goal of the display of God's glory in creation and in diversity in his creation. You know, and I feel deep sympathy for those who are confused about something so base level as what gender they are, or if they even have a gender. Um, But it's going to lead to a difficult life for them and to devastating problems in all kinds of areas. Uh, I I am deeply sympathetic towards uh, people who who struggle with that. But it assumes that we're we're on a continuum and and, um, we can just sort of pick where we go and it downplays the diversity that God built into creation. And, you know, we're just not free to roam the gender continuum, finding the one that we we like the best or wherever. And so, you know, even though someone may feel something just earnestly, it doesn't change the, the, the distinct physical way that God gave, God made them. And so, you know, reality, what God made is a display of his glory. Um, and so we're able to have perceptions of that. They may be intense, but they may be untrue perceptions. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's a, very complex issue, but I think it, it does miss some things about how God intended to be glorified in his creation. Yeah, you know, there's a very famous old poem written uh, written hundreds of years ago, actually, called Invictus. Uh, and I think it's really the mentality, the mantra of our generation, especially, of the values of our society. And there's a famous line in it, I am the captain of my own ship. I am the master of my own destiny. And I think that this is the logical conclusion of that kind of mentality. That I think the transgender movement fails to understand that our DNA is not a result of chance. It's not something that we control, but that it's God's very intentional design. And that we ultimately aren't the master of our own destiny. Mm-hmm. We don't get to determine what's, what's reality for ourselves. We don't get to determine even who we are. That God who created us in his image the eternal, transcendent, wonderful, and beautiful God is the one who gets to determine who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think sometimes today the transgender movement can go even further. And I do want to say very clearly, if you listen to this podcast today perhaps and you do struggle with uh, transgenderism or if you have no problem with it and you identify as transgender, we are so thankful to have you listening. And, and we truly care for you and we want, uh, we want you to come, to come to better understand Christ and we hope to be good neighbors to you. But nonetheless, I do think that there are some errors that we have to be mindful of. And I think that our desires in that can be quite confusing. Our desire to get to determine reality even for others comes into play in that. You know, I think oftentimes the transgender movement will, even today, will will seek to make sure that uh, someone who's biologically born a male has to be understood by others as a female if they identify as, Mm -hmm. as a female. And in truth, 
we don't just become the master of our own ship. It's we're becoming the master of others' ship, and no, rather than God becoming it. Our preferences determine others' reality. Reality is then what we determine it to be. And I think that's a truly troubling trend. Yeah, I mean, it's wanting to be in the place of the Creator. Yes. Now, how do we teach a child that is confused about gender or self-image? You know, our, our culture says, essentially, create your own identity, be you, be who you want to be, all that kind of stuff. I think we should instead say, be who God made you to be. Yes. Now, I know there are complexities, and what about the exceptions and the what-if, and, and people who are born intersex and, and things like that. They're, Which, that's extremely rare, the, just to clarify. I mean, I've got a statistic here that point zero five percent of people, and this was according to the Intersex Society of North America, quoted in Parents Magazine. Um, again, that's I know understand that's a lot of people, but point zero five percent, you know, that 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 is in proportion that that's not most people. So we're not dealing with exceptions. More big picture, you know, the culture says be all this. I think we need to instead point them back to God. You're made in His image. Who did He make you to be? And we don't find that just from musing. We find that from His Word. Now, it's not a blueprint for every detail of our lives, but it does give big picture things for all the people that He made in His image. Um, and so changing your gender identity is not consistent. I think we could pretty easily say from Scripture, you know, creating your own identity isn't either. But conforming your thinking and your feeling and your doing to what God has said, what He has made you for, that is consistent um, with the purpose that He made you. And so um, I think we talk about goodness and the perfection and the sovereignty of God and away from themselves. Like we talked about earlier, instead of just thinking about yourself so much and being in awe of yourself, be in awe of God. And Jesus calls us to, to rest in Him, to find our identity in Him, to be joined to Him, and not simply to just you know, like you said, be the captain of our own ship. And so this may be harder than for some than it is for others. And this may be harder uh, in some ways that a sinful tendency towards this may be harder than um, turning away from some other sin. And some of that, I think, because of the physical aspect of it, but also sexual issues are kind of the idol of our day. Or maybe they're just the offshoot of the idol of individualism, um, and and people see sexual expression, as they call it, as the highest form of of self-expression. But whatever the the final root cause is, it may be harder for some people. But then again, you know, it may be harder for some people to turn away from anger or you know worry than it is for other people. And so. All Christians are called to repent, to turn away from sin instead of identify with their sin and and trust and cling to Jesus and to find themselves in relation to Him. And so I think it's just, just pointing their attention back to Him and His goodness. I, one thing I want to preface what I all say by is I think that we today sometimes have tr- have transformed something that's really quite ordinary into something that's monumental. And that is children being confused about gender, especially at a young age. The truth is that it's really pretty ordinary for a child, especially a preschooler age, to be have some confusion and some misunderstandings about gender. 
And in fact, even among those who see that as such a huge deal, among those who allow a child, a preschooler, a young child, an elementary age child, or even above, to determine their, to determine that they're a gender other than what they were born with, other than their biological gender, the vast majority, according to almost every statistic, the vast majority of those children will as, as an adult revert back to identifying and in their birth gender. So I think in that, again, we've made something that's quite ordinary to be something that's defining of identity. And that's, un- that's unfortunate, I think. So it's normal that if your kid is confused about gender, if a girl wants to be a boy one day, and if your boy wants to be a girl one day, that I think that's fairly ordinary. I think in that sometimes it comes from a misunderstanding that oftentimes girls want to be a boy it's because they perceive that, that they want they like seeing a construction worker and most construction workers they see are boys or when your, your son wants to be a girl that perhaps that he has gifts of mercy and compassion and he sees uh, people that are merciful and compassion in your church uh, that are women I think we are called to correct this we are called to help our kids understand what true gender is and help to guide them through this and ask them why they're unsure, but also the beauty of their gender. You know, if perhaps we have a boy that our culture would define as, as more feminine. You know, I'm not sure that, uh, that oftentimes we define feminine the way that scripture does. We affirm the goodness of how God has created him. We don't tell him, you know, that he's being womanly mm-hmm. and something that scripture doesn't identify as that. But we also show him the great thing that thank God that he is a man you know God wanted him to be a man and he wanted him to be a boy and that's a wonderful and great thing if we have a girl in the same boat we do the exact same kind of thing and affirm the beauty of how God created her to be a woman and how God created her with those unique strengths that he wants her to use to serve him in in a wonderful and clear way it's unfortunate, I think, that we see news stories every day that praise parents that reinforce the questioning that, these, that their kids have, despite the statistics. And I, I think that in a lot of ways, it's, it can be abusive to a child that's seeking to understand who they are, rather than really helpful. Yeah, I mean, children can see things clearly sometimes, but they also have great confusion. And so, I mean, they say all kinds of things that we want to set them straight on. They think all kinds of things that are inaccurate, and so making some such enormous decisions as things like that, you know, gender assignment surgeries for small children. God gave children parents for a reason because the parents have or should have greater wisdom to help the child navigate through life. We shouldn't say, oh, the child has the superior wisdom and um, they know themselves. No, they don't. They, they really, they need help figuring that out. They need to know reality as God has defined it. And, and that's one of the biggest reasons parents are in their lives. Well, thank you, Ben, and thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. I hope you've been benefited by this episode, and if you have been benefited by this episode or any of our other episodes, we encourage you to like our podcast on social media, on SoundCloud, or on Stitcher, as well as iTunes. Uh, Give us a positive review. Positive reviews help us reach more people with this message, as well as uh, regularly download and listen. And we're, we're able to be reached. Both of us are on Twitter, and you can reach me at, at Anthony Tresoni. And Ben, you can reach at? At Ben Palaz. 
Okay, wonderful. So we look forward to if you reach out to us and we'd be happy to answer any questions that you might have. And again, thank you so much for joining us and God bless.